I kept getting offered horses, horses that I loved and that I worked with for free. Here, take this horse. We we don't want to race them anymore. It's yours. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I can't afford a horse. They're very expensive. Um, I can't take them. So I just kept seeing this need. And I mean, these horses were beautiful and they were expensive and and they had all these gifts and all this talent to give. And then they would end up in a pasture at four years old. And that's sort of like us retiring at 18. It might sound good at the time, but what are we doing with the rest of our lives? Welcome to Conversations with Animals, a podcast on our interconnection with animal life. We talk to ecological writers, photographers, vegan chefs, animal-related spaces, artists, and more to understand our interconnection with animal life. I'm your host, Juliana. Thank you, first of all, for having me. Um, my name is CJ Wilson. I am the founder and trainer of Win Place Home. We are um, a 501c3 charity that takes in retired racehorses, and we rehab them if they're hurt, and we retrain them for their second career. And I know you have like a very long history as a trainer and both as like a rescue rehomer. So um, when did you first get involved with horses? And was there a moment where you knew you really wanted to work with them in your life? Yes, I have been riding horses since I was four. And next year, that means I get to say that I've been riding horses for 40 years. Um, <laughs> so it's a long time. But um, I started working with horses when I was 17. And um, I had a wide variety of horses to work with. I did a lot of jumping. I did a lot of dressage. I did a lot of Western. I sort of had this great um, mentors and people I worked with that taught me sort of all of the disciplines. And um, then I moved up north and I really wanted to work at the racetrack. It was sort of always a dream of mine to work there. And I was a huge fan of horse racing when I was a little girl. And so I started working at the racetrack and I was an assistant trainer for six years and I got to gallop the racehorses. I got to muck their stalls, groom the groom them. I got to pick the races for them um, and call the jockeys and, and tell them how to run the race with the horse and all that fun stuff. And then I actually worked for four years on the track as a vet tech. And um, I worked at the Santa Anita Equine Hospital for two years doing x-rays and helping with surgeries. And then I actually was plucked out by one of the vets who really liked how I worked. And he made me his assistant. And I worked um, with him for two years. And so while I was at the track, I just... I just get got kept getting all these feelings with all the horses I worked with. Like I, I could see what they w would be good at if when they finished racing. I could see, oh my gosh, you are so beautiful mover. You'd be a great dressage horse, or you would be awesome in a western saddle, just going out on the trails with. And so I kept noticing that, and I kept seeing that. And then the the other thing I kept seeing was once a horse was done with racing they needed a place to go. And I kept getting offered horses, horses that I loved and that I worked with for free. Here, take this horse. We we don't want to race them anymore. It's yours. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I can't afford a horse. They're very expensive. Um, I can't take them. So I just kept seeing this need. And I mean, these horses were beautiful and they were expensive and, and they had all these gifts and all this talent to give. And then 
they would end up in a pasture at four years old. And that's sort of like us retiring at 18. It might sound good at the time, but what are we doing with the rest of our lives? And then they go from, you know, all of this high energy and all of this attention to sort of nothing um, being turned out in the pasture. And that's sort of the high end sort of best, best case scenario. The worst case scenario um, is that, yeah, they get sold for auction and then who knows what happens. Uh, you know, you can only imagine like some get euthanized and some get used for meat or whatever. So it can be a really rough topic of where they're going and, and, and not knowing where they're, they'll end up. So while I was working at the track, I just had this calling to sort of think about what my ideal horse job would be. And it sort of led me down this path of what I would really love to do is to help these horses transition and help find them a home where they'll thrive doing that second job. So I worked for five years developing the charity and really figuring it out because I didn't have any knowledge of how to start a charity or do anything. The only knowledge I had was horses. So I knew that part I could do. It was just all the other part um, had to come together. And so I just started really slowly. I started um, even just the idea slowly and just put the pieces together. Cause what I was really concerned with was I didn't want to let these horses down. I didn't want to start this charity and then not have them and, and not be able to take care of them. So that's why I started so slow. And so we started the charity in 2015 and I got our first horse in February of 2016. And then it took me a whole year to save up enough money to get a second horse. So our second horse came in 2017. And as of today, um, we just welcomed our 102nd horse to the charity. <laughs> so it's a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we have um, about 75 successful adoptions. So we have um, a lot of great um, adopted homes and the horses are doing super. Um, so yeah. Amazing. I mean, there's so much in there I want to ask you about. The first thing I want to acknowledge is like you had that like exponential growth of like you're like one horse, two horses, a hundred and two horses. Like it just shows um, you know, you're living from your heart and like how much care goes into it. And I just think that's really beautiful. Um and and what you were saying earlier about this, like the imagination around an animal's lifespan is so limited, like in the mainstream, like, you know, obviously the work you're doing is super radical because animals are largely viewed as like products or once they're done service. So once they're done servicing our purpose, you know, we just get rid of them or turn them into like another product. <laughs> um, yes. So like you intervening is so important. And I'm wondering, like, when you say like, okay, I see this horse might be good for this purpose. I feel like what you're speaking to is like each horse being an individual and having their own personality and, and are driven to like be in a certain environment. So like, what are some of the common personality traits maybe you see in horses and, and what are, um, how do you know where to put them and what are the signals you're looking for as a trainer to know like, Oh, this would be a good horse for like to work with children versus maybe be, um, out uh on a working farm or whatever it's going to be yeah yeah and um 
But one thing I wanted to touch on was um, the sort of horses working for us. We do find a lot of horses coming from the track that do feel like they don't have an identity. They do come in a little bit like I was I was running and this was my job and I was just put through the system. And then we do have other horses that were cared for a little bit more individually. And so they sort of have their personality. They sort of have... Um, you know, their, their, their character. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit different when horses come in and they're a little bit shell-shocked, like, I don't know who I am. Those horses, we immediately allow to just be a horse, like for, (laughs) for a week, for a month, however long it takes, just relax, be a horse. We're here to take care of you. We're here to look after you and just have fun. And you'll see them start to blossom and start to relax and, and like look to the other horses like, Oh, th- this is not what it, what, it, <laughs> what it's been like. And the first thing I do when they come here um, and I get them off the trailer, as I say, you don't have to race anymore. That part of your life is over. And now we're going to find a new chapter for your life. And some horses, they, they loved the track. They loved racing. They were good at it. They enjoyed it. Um, and some come in here like, no, don't you know, I'm, I'm a great racehorse. And I'm like, <laughs> I know, I know. We're going to find something else. And then um, others come in and, and they say, I was a great racehorse, but now I'm ready for something else. We have a horse right now who he actually just got adopted, but he came in. He had won over $600,000. Wow. He raced like 47 times. And when he got here, he was very much like, I don't want to do any structure. I don't want to do anything in the arena. I want to just have an adventure and be in the moment. And I was like, okay, all right, we we can do this. But this is going to be a little bit difficult to find you a good home because now I need to find somebody who is willing to take on a horse that wants to live in the moment. And that's not easy. So I told him, I said, you might have to be here for a little while longer. He's like, it's cool. Just live in the moment. And I'm like, all right. So um, I, and I know that I talk (laughs) to you about like them speaking, but it's, it's sort of, I mean, I've been with them for so long that I can understand, you know, what they mean and what they say, even if they're not speaking. (laughs) But um. And the way I sort of help them find that little spark of what they want to do in their second career is I can either see it sort of in their movement, um, sort of in their character, because even the difference between like a jumper horse and a hunter horse, they both jump. But hunter horses have a a little bit more discipline while jumper horses are like, let's burn and turn and we're going to run and like have a little bit more like spunk in them. Like, let's go. So um it's a little bit in their movement a little bit in their character but then i also will show them different things like this is the jump and this is the pulls that we have to do to to achieve the jump and if they just are like oh no i I don't i'm not into this i'm like okay no problem let's try dressage or let's try what what brings that spark and you can tell when you're riding them like when i'm riding them i can feel the joy like if they go over a pole they're like oh yeah i I like this let's keep going Mm um Or like I have one horse currently who wants to do dressage and he loves just being ridden. Like you go and you get the saddle and the bridle and he gets in the cross ties and he's like, okay, let's go, let's go. And you put on your helmet and he's like, let's go. And you think, (laughs) okay, when I get on you, you're going to be a whole ton of horse, but you get on him and he's like, 
great. This is what I wanted. Let's go have fun. And he relaxes and he's, he's only three years old. So wow. <laughs> it's crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's just a case of just listening to them because they'll say everything that, that they need and how they need to be trained. Yeah. Well, I think like those nonverbal cues are things that like, you know, humans communicate in that way too. And like our society, we often ignore those or don't value, we don't value the quiet or the silence as much, I feel in general. So it sounds like getting to work around animals your whole life, you're just really cued into like subtle languages and, and, um, you know, maybe some of us with pets have experienced things like that. Like I know with my dog, like I can tell when he's, you know, his, whatever mood he's in, like when he's like, why are we getting out of bed versus like, let's go on a walk. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I love that. And I, I love that you just embrace that because I think maybe a lot of people have those instincts and kind of silence them. And they're like, Oh, I, I can't really understand what another species is saying, but I think it's innate to us. Yeah. Yeah. And the horses really teach you not only how to listen, but how to be in the present moment, because when you're with a horse, you have to focus mm-hmm. on them and you have to be present and what's happening right now and what's happening right now with your horse and how you can help your horse achieve what's going on. So it's really great. And it's a really good tool to have, especially for listening and even conversations, you can bring it in to everyday life of, you know, speaking with someone and actually just sitting there and listening and not thinking, what am I going to say next? You know, you're just present and you allow, allow the conversation to happen. Yeah. It's beautiful. And, um, it was making me think when you're speaking to of like the different kinds of opportunities you have at when place home for the horses and I was noticing like I know we met through kind of like your healing arts person (laughs) so I was curious like what is it like to offer healing to a non-human animal and um, how do you see them respond to those different kinds of uh, caring yeah yeah it's interesting because we we get horses that have been really hurt and have broken their leg or have had surgery and um and and it's hard. Sometimes it's hard for them to, especially the broken legs one, because they go from basically running race fit and race ready to just being in their stall, having to rest. And it can be very hard mentally and emotionally for them. So in order to help heal them and heal their body, like we just got in a horse that literally the vet said he's got a 50-50 chance of surviving this surgery. And so I said, okay, but to me, that didn't scare me. I, I thought, I, I'm, I know I can get that number way high. We're, we're going to get you successful. And he did, he came in and he was, the horse was upset. He was angry um, because he was in pain. And so I helped with his, with his pain, just with sort of medicine, but also just to let him know that he, he, this isn't for forever. I try to help them know that this is only just a small part of their life and it'll pass and they'll get better and then they can go on to do other things. And I think, especially for those horses that have been injured, when you give them that opportunity and when you, you show them that there's other things in life besides the racing and the running, then all of a sudden it, it opens up their mind and open up opens up their world and then they can connect with another human on that level too, where they can see where another human is hurt or hurting and then they can now relate to it more. So 
for some of the horses that we have that have been hurt, I I recommend or I try to get them into a therapy home because they can help others who have been hurt because they've been through it. And horses are much more emotional than people. They can feel things that we probably can't even comprehend. So for them, emotion emotions are very easy for them to read within us and they can feel it and mirror it right back. So um and the ones that have been hurt, they they can see it even even clearer. So they ha- they have a good. I try to find those good therapy homes. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um. Like so, when a horse first comes in, you were saying like you you have this like period of them. You just kind of evaluating them and then placing them. Other than like the therapy homes, what are some of the transitional places they end up in. Um, I know you're mentioning it can kind of vary based on their personality. Yeah. Yeah. And it varies too, sort of like, um, on their levels. Like we have some that are, are, would be good for kids, but they're three years old. So they need some help and some training. So, um, one young girl who was like 12, she adopted a horse from us, a three-year-old horse. And, um, but she was like a super gutsy rider and this horse was so kind and he, he doesn't do anything naughty. And so I, but I said to her, I said, it's a long process still. Like we're just in the very, very beginning of his training stage. He's got a long way to go. So I spoke with her trainer and they were all on board of like continuing his training process and helping him become an adult horse. So, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of different things they can do. And, and, um, I've had horses go do three-day eventing. Um, I've had horses just go and be a companion horse for other horses. Um, I've had horses go be trail horses, and and um, I've I've sent two up to Utah to this like beautiful trail facility that they take really good care of their horses, and um, it's like this cowboy uh, <laughs> like pitch, picturesque. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful place in Utah and they just love it. They, they got up there and they were like, okay, I could do this. This is great. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and I really try to find the right home and I have gotten it wrong. Like I have definitely, there've definitely been homes that were not quite right. And in, in those cases, um, and in every case, we always say that the horse can come back to us. So we have in our adoption agreement that if, life doesn't work out or if the horse doesn't work out, they can always have a home back here. So they can always bring them back to us. And um, when that happens, we just learn from it and go, okay, well, that wasn't the right one. Let's try to figure out what, where is the right one. And usually the second time is the correct time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like anything else, trial and error. And yeah, um, it's really wonderful that you have that policy. Cause I imagine like there could be bad outcomes if that wasn't there. Like if someone just got rid of the horse on their own. Or yeah. Like yeah, absolutely. And we, even if it wasn't that owner, if like that owner gave the horse away or, and it just like trickled down and then the very end is like, Oh, that horse ended up in auction. We don't ever want that. So we're always here and we're always here as a support system anyway, as far as like problems that come up, like, Oh, Oh, my horses started doing this and this, and then we <laughs> try to troubleshoot it from afar, which can be tricky, but usually, <laughs> yeah. usually I can get right on it. Um, uh, cause probably because I still have a connection to that horse. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And, um, I mean, when I'm hearing you talk about the horses, it just, I can tell like 
how deeply you do feel connected to them. And like, I'm curious, I know we were talking earlier about you being in the race, you know, you were in the racetrack industry for a bit, working in the vet, all of that. So what were some of the misconceptions you saw about um, racing that you, you know, that you confronted during that experience or that you maybe still hear now um, as people come to adopt the horses? Do they have like you know, wrong ideas about what that's like for the horse. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of the reason why I started the charity too, is because people think that retired racehorses are crazy and flighty and unmanageable and scary and never get one. Um, And that was part of the reason why I started it because I knew that that wasn't true. And I knew that all they needed was this time that they have with me to come down from being a racehorse and go back to learn how to be a riding horse and then they'll be fine. Um, So I knew that that wasn't the case. And I knew that I could change people's minds if they could just see, if they could just come open mind and see the difference that um, like this horse is no longer a racehorse. There's nothing in him anymore that is a racehorse. Now he's just a horse and he wants his second job. So that's a big one. And then the other question I get asked a lot too is about um, putting racehorses down when they break their legs. And it doesn't happen very often. Um, it, it, the, if they can save the horse, they will. And I know because I've been there on the front lines and I have a lot of vet friends who, I mean, they, they do so much for these animals. And what happens though, is the horse has, um, on every one of its feet, they have underneath it, this, what's called a frog. Mm -hmm. And when they step on that frog, that actually pumps blood back up to their heart. So every time they step with one hoof down, it's pumping blood back into their heart. Now, if a horse breaks their leg and they'll be able to stand on it, great. Let's do surgery. We'll fix it. It'll be fine. Hopefully, hopefully they'll survive the surgery and all the healing process after that because the horse can put weight on that leg. If the damage is so severe that the horse can't put weight on the leg, what ends up happening is now you've taken away a fourth of their circulatory system. So now because you've sort of immobilized that leg and they can't put pressure on it, what ends up happening to their body is it it starts to deteriorate. Because if you think about in the wild, the weak horses won't survive. So in the horse's sort of genealogy and history of, of everything a horse is, the horse body knows it can't survive this. So what happens is they start getting other diseases and other things start happening. Like this leg starts to, the good leg starts to get bad. And it's just this sort of snowball where it's just unkind to have to put them through that. And it's, it's a little bit torturous to have to put them through that. So in that case, the best thing to do and the kindest thing to do is to put them down um, there. And and I know that that's hard, but it's it's better than the the alternative, which is to just have them suffer for months. But if they can stand on it, they'll they'll try to fix it and they'll try their very best. And I've been there um, in surgeries where the surgeries have gone wrong, and um, the the it's not like the vets are like, oh, dang. It's like it really affects them. They yeah. really care. I mean, they wouldn't be a vet if they didn't care about the horses. So they do really care. And and I think it's hard for people to 
see that when all they see are the numbers of forces being put down. You know, it's it's not easy. Um, I've had vet friends quit because it it just was too hard. So um, so I think that's another misconception. And and I think the last misconception of, of racehorses is that they're making them run, which I don't know if you've ever <laughs> been around a horse, but trying to make a horse do anything it does not want to do is <laughs> very <laughs> difficult. And um, it's it's definitely not something that is easy. And I'm telling you right now, because I've written them, that if a horse doesn't want to run, they won't run. And what ends up happening with those horses is they get last and last, and then they they end up trying to find them a new home because they I get calls all the time. This horse doesn't want to run anymore. Can you can you take him? Like absolutely. So, um, but there's no I'm telling you, there's no amount of whipping or anything that's gonna make a horse do something they don't want to do. And um so that's that's a pretty big misconception, like that we're out there making them run and it's like no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I mean I didn't ride a lot growing up I definitely took I had like a period of time where I was taking lessons maybe like around middle school age yeah and I fell once and I got oh, scared no. I like yeah. right down his neck onto the ground I was like okay and I didn't ride again until I was working at like a sleepaway camp an outdoor camp in upstate New York and they had horses there and we could go as staff out on the horses. And I, I was nervous, but we went on like a trail and I had this really sweet horse who I remember we were walking through like a creek or something. And I felt, I had this like feeling that, you know, they would have gone faster if I wasn't on them. Like I could see them like kind of checking on me almost. And it was just really healing because I was like, you know, I had fallen from this other horse and now there's this horse who I felt was like hyper cautious. Of, like, <laughs> I don't want to do anything. So <laughs> the same kind of thing. Like I remember on that trail wanting to, you know, get them to go this way or that way. And they're like, nope, we're going here. <laughs> you know? so, yes. Yeah. But for people who maybe haven't had an experience with a horse or are going to meet their first horse soon or something like that, what are yeah. your tips for just like approaching a horse? I know there's certain angles you shouldn't come at them from and stuff. So like, what are your favorite introductory tips? So the first um, intro tip I always say is for everybody just to move slow. Yeah. Um, not to make real fast movements, but nice and slow so that the horse feels your intention and isn't like worried that you're going to do something too fast. Um, the other thing is they have two blind spots run right in front of their nose. So a lot of people sometimes will come up to their nose like this and then it scares them because they didn't see it coming. Um, the other blind spot is right at their back end, which that's not where anybody's coming up to first talk to a horse, but still. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. And um, I know that people try to go for the face first, but I always say to try to go for the neck um, so that it's a nice intro so they can see and feel how that person touches. Um, and I always say to never to sort of pat them, but to just sort of um, pet them because mm -hmm. patting they're, they're very sensitive. They, they can, um, they can feel a fly. So, so patting actually is a little bit jarring, but petting feels nice and feels like something that they can trust you with. So those are my first tips. And then just to be with them, just to hear and listen to what they do and how they, how they move their head and, 
if they want to get close to you, they will. And if not, they won't. So, and we can't make them do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know I just have a couple minutes left with you, but I I just saw that you have a dog and now I'm curious, like, (laughs) I'm curious if like the horses interact with my puppy, (laughs) if they um, interact with other animals, other species. And like, if you have any observations on like, do horses enjoy other types of animals? Do horses in general just like want to be around other horses? And yeah, it's funny because it's very individual, just like people. There are horses that are dog horses. There are horses that are horses, horses, and there are horses that are people horses. Um, And that one horse I was mentioning that just got adopted that won over $600,000, that horse was a people horse. He had no interest in other horses, no interest in other dogs. And uh, and dogs. And so it's very much just like people, you know, that they, some of the horses are very interested. I have three dogs. So some of them <laughs> are very interested in them and some of them are not. And it does, it's like, it doesn't matter to me. All that matters to me is that they're not afraid of them. So I, all of my dogs like run around all the time. They usually fight in the arena while I'm riding, riding a three-year-old racehorse. They're in there like fighting, fighting. And I just tell the horse, it, it doesn't matter. They're not bothering you. They won't hurt you. And so I, I'm teaching the horses too, like, no matter what happens, I'm going to take care of you. And I'm not going to put you in a place, in a position that's going to hurt you. And once the horse knows that, they're like, okay. So it doesn't matter what's going on in the arena. They know that I'm not putting them in a bad position. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And then do the dogs have a curiosity about the horses or do they just want to like be around wherever you are? <laughs> yeah, they just follow me around and then they're very I make sure that they're very respectful. So all of them respect the horse and uh, pay attention to the horse, but none of them try to like get in the horse's way in business. <laughs> That's a wise decision. Yes. Size difference. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it was so lovely talking to you. And for people who want to get involved with When Place Home, what is the best way to do so? I know you said you don't have any events right now, but like I, I know you do often have them. So yeah. Yeah. Next year, we're going to have some super great events. Um, we have a, a silent auction party and we have a cabaret in the middle of the year. Um, and then we also do some drag queen bingo events, but the best way, um, is on our website, uh, winplacehome.org and we take volunteers. So on there is our volunteer application. Um, and then you can email me anytime cj at winplacehome.org and also our Instagram, our Instagram and Facebook are usually up to date with all upcoming stuff, classes. We, we do some classes too, where like we have horsemanship one-on-one class to come. And even if you have no horse experience, um, it's, it's really fun to be here and you get to meet everybody. And, um, so yeah, just Instagram and Facebook to keep updated on what's coming up next. That's awesome. I'm, I really want to come see next time I'm out that way. <laughs> Absolutely. You yeah. have to now. <laughs> I have to. I'm like, it sounds like paradise. So. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Conversations with Animals. You can subscribe to my letter on animals at www.julianaroth.com slash drawing animals. And until next time, I hope you have a fun and wild life.